and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers sit around drinking tasty beverages to talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that may not agree but are lovingly delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your profan base today is all about me, Jeannie Warner, because this is episode 182, an interview with Howard Andrew Jones. Welcome, Howard. Thank you for having me. Uh, you are just, as we were getting chatting about this coming up, you are the second Bane writer we've talked to, I think, this summer with uh, Sharon Lee and Steve Miller being the first set. Yeah, I think uh, I think we at Bain are getting busier and busier all the time. I, I have Thanks to say, I love that it does. I was a big Bane fan for many parts of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm recent to this table, uh, so it's really good to be here. Oh, it's delightful to have you. And thank you. You sent me an advanced copy of Lord of a Shattered Land, which we'll be talking about for today. And I really liked this. I wanted to say it's very, it's very Cormac McCart, but better written today. And I liked that about it. Well, I, I'm, that is a heck of a compliment um, uh, because Robert E. Howard is one of my, one of my favorite writers. So, uh, Wow. Okay. No, no, I really liked that. I mean, except for you don't do something that annoyed the crap out of me in his, which was he had a signature move, almost like, you know, Bond, James Bond. In every single short story, his sword wove a web of death. Well, that's and that's pretty cool. Okay. I'm I'm a word clusters girl, and I noticed it by the end of the book. It's like, oh, and there's the signature line. His sword wove a web of death. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens when you write a bunch of short stories and never anticipate that they're going to be collected someday, just published. Nobody's, nobody's going to read these all in a row. These are syndicates. Yeah, right. Right. No, no, I really liked it. And one of the other things that I wanted to say for for those that picture Frank Frazetta's, did I say that right, Frazetta? I was confused. No, that the, seems right. The, the famous pictures of scantily clad women and muscle rippling loincloth clad men that are the early, you know, some of the early pictures of sword and sorcery. You don't do that. I wanted to say thank you right up front because I liked the equality of women in the judgment of your main character and in the universe as warriors, as leaders, and even more important to my heart as antagonists. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that I'm glad that you liked all of those then. Because I well, it was one of the reasons for years that I fell in love with some of the um what's the word? It's the 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 Chinese kung fu movies and kung fu series. Because in a weird sort of way, despite whatever's going on in their modern culture in the in the ancient time of the thousand kingdoms, etc., the female witches could be the ultimate bad guy and be extremely powerful. And it feels like that sort of disappeared from a lot of Western writing. And I love that that it just people that are able to seamlessly bring it back with, of course, women matter. Of course, you know, his the missing daughter of your hero is off and she was a practically a general in her own right and a warrior woman. And that's that's really awesome. And so on behalf of Chicks Everywhere, thank you. Well, you're very welcome. I mean, my primary beta reader is my wife, and she's amazing. And I don't see any reason not to have amazing women in my fiction. And I've got a daughter, 
Uh, she's 23 now, and I remember when she first came into my library, I've got a lot of uh, wonderful old books here that are exciting old action adventures, and I'm like, wow, I would love to hand her a book that has really cool women who have agency, and there's just not a whole lot of older fiction where that's true, which is sad to me. It, it's, it's not that I've stopped reading it or I don't like it anymore, but it's you have to keep that in mind. So. I mean, I think of Hawk Mistress from the Dark Over, and then I think of, I think, well, Elizabeth Moon, Dita Peck, Scenario, and her trilogy was, I think, <laughs> there was a locker a locker room full of women hockey players, and they were like, where she, if we wanted to read fantasy, and like three of us at the same time, the Deeds of Peck, Scenario, trilogy, <laughs> magnificent, and it was different than boy fiction, because it seemed like the, I, I don't want to just say boy fiction, I said that wrong, the fiction that starts with here's a young boy, Lung King Arthur pulls a sword from a stone is automatically better at everybody than everything. And that is that it seemed to be like Harry Potter, the boy who lived. You're a powerful wizard, Harry. But for women, it's more of the Paxinarian starts out as a um, squire and she slogs through the mud. And there's a lot of mud in that series and there's polishing things because you're slugging through the mud and it's real <laughs> thereby and it makes it into something real and what i liked about your character your hanavar is he very much is real it's dirty sometimes he needs a shave sometimes he needs a bath and i really loved that about him is you made him very real he's a 3d figure not just heroic bigger than life Oh, you can't, I can't tell you how, <laughs> I'm so thrilled that you felt that way about him. I did. Plus, you know, I'm on the middle-aged side myself. So middle-aged heroes like are totally, it's competence porn. We dig competence, right? Well, right, right. It's not that I never want to read another uh, coming of age story again, but I've seen them so many times now. I didn't really want to write another one where someone's starting out and learning the ropes. I thought, wow, let's just have this guy really good at what he does. And the arc isn't about him getting better at what he does and finding a wise man and, and the love of his life. He has a different arc. Yeah. It's a little bit of a redemption arc. It's a little bit of, you know, finding the people. It's a little bit of to your scattered bodies, collect them and get them all together and, and see if you can march in a new direction. And I really liked that. I, I liked that he didn't have magic powers and magic persuasion. And occasionally he had a bad luck role just as much as he occasionally has some good luck roles, you know? Yeah. Well, I wanted to vary it up. Uh, it's so much more interesting that way. <laughs> no, you, did you write them all as individual stories or did you write them all in an episodic feel way? Well, the goal was, I know it's a weird game to play, but I kind of wanted to, I wanted to write individual stories that fit together as closely as possible, one after the other, so that they would build, right? You, you know, characters that get introduced in one may come back. And then there's overarching arcs that might get introduced in one story, but then resolved in another. But the game I played with myself was, okay, up until the finale, I want everyone, if you wanted to just read one of the stories, it'd be like tuning into a TV series. That episode might be really cool, but it'd be even cooler if you saw the ones before it. But you'd still get it if you watched it. I don't think that's true maybe for the, the, the final story in the volume. I mean, maybe you'd get it, but it wouldn't be nearly as powerful if you hadn't read the predecessors, because it resolves uh, many of the arcs that are introduced in the book. 
it it in that way reminded me a little bit of I I read and I'm going to mangle his name, Andrzej Sapowski's The Witcher, which in the books it had a similar idea that each of them was a short story, but I mean it still went somewhere. And when they when they made a TV series out of it, they went a little different and they made it a little bit more. There was flashbacks in here and there that were a little confusing, but on the whole. It was like here's the chain, the inexorable chain of events going in a certain direction. Whereas, I I liked that yours had a similar idea to that. If there were each individual moments, but it reminded me of that as much too. So, again, really cool. Well, thank you. That that's the pitch. You know, when I was shopping around, I said, look, people like uh, people like seasons of TVs. They often binge watch them, but each episode usually stands alone. I mean, there's plenty of series, I guess, where they don't. But I've always been a fan where they stand alone, but they build. And I wanted to do the same thing with a book. It's not like it's not like no one else has ever done this before. It's just it hasn't been hasn't been done as much lately. It seems like that. I mean, it, it reminded me of the way that Xena Warrior Princess had a little bit of an overarching plot, but there were each episode you could just watch that episode and you'd be fine. Like like Don Quixote, you can go anywhere with this quest. Right, right. It gave me so much freedom. I I originally conceived it as a smaller series, and I got to tell you, I was just having so much fun thinking about all the things that uh, Hanavar could see and do. That uh, you know, when I when I pitched it to Bain, I suggested, well, I've got here's one novel, I've got outlines for two, but I have ideas for two more. And and Tony Weisskopf really liked it and and gave me a five book deal. So there you go, there you go. Now you mentioned TV, so. I have to ask the important question. What actor do you see playing Hanavar? And <laughs> why is it Raul Esparza? <laughs> <laughs> well, you should tell me who you think of playing Han uh, Hanavar, because I got to tell you, I've ever since my son drew this really cool picture of Hanavar in kind of a Bruce Timm style, I've been thinking, wow, you know, sort of Hanavar, the animated series look, right? And okay. I, okay. Yeah. I, I also like the animated part, but... I think Benicio del Toro or Raul Esparza or even Joaquin Phoenix, if he was available, would be a very good middle age because he's middle aged. I'm imagining he's got some salt and pepper in his beard. He's he's gone around a little bit. Kind of any of those actors, I think, could pull that off beautifully. Or well, I think they who, could. Yeah. Or who is it that just played Leto in Dune? Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, wow. well, think of it. Faster. I'm terrible with actor names anyway. Yeah. So he he could also pull it off. He had those, you know, they have tried to take the life of my son look in his eyes that I think, you know, Hanavar could do. <laughs> yeah, you need someone with really expressive eyes, not someone that looks like he's going to be snarky, someone who has silent power and a yeah. whole lot of whole lot of quiet charisma. Sadder, wiser, you know, there's there's times to step up. And like I said, the competency point of it was beautiful to me of like. We need a plan. Okay, what's your plan? I like your plan. Let's let me allow me to suggest an embroidery on that. I liked that about him. <laughs> well, that's cool. So, which uh, which segment was your favorite? Oh, there's part of me that has always had a fondness for pirates. So, the pirate queen gal was <laughs> was big in my heart because, okay. you know, she was yeah. smart. I liked again. It was that admiring of as you're judging your adversary and what is your estimation ah that's the smart one yes she is not <laughs> we're going to need to we need to calculate this plan and include the smartness of the adversary and 
So it was a little bit the fact that it was a kid idea and a grown up adding a twist to it and how they all responded to it. Plus the eulogy of the sister. I just adored. Wow. Awesome. So I, I can't imagine that it would be anything but your daughter's favorite one. <laughs> My daughter has been so busy with school. Alas, she has not had a chance to read this. Ah, well, <laughs> she should get right on that. She should. I can hand her a hardback now. Excellent. Excellent. And I liked you. You sent me a description of a thumbnail as if the adventures Aragorn might have had if Sauron had won or James Bond alone against the Roman Empire. And it was it was funny. I had to go back and read that you'd written that and like, oh, this is so very Roman. You know, I took my Roman Republic and Roman Empire and this is very Roman Empire. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Hanavar is inspired by Hannibal of Carthage, who's been a uh, gosh a hero of mine since i was about 16 i noticed that you said he will find a way or make one because that was clearly the quote of hannibal yeah yeah there aren't too many <laughs> there aren't I too mean, many he... <laughs> quotes left over because the romans did such a fine job destroying his civilization but <laughs> there's a few that have been handed down and that's one of them no two stones left to top the other was what shall become of carthage yes indeed <laughs> yeah yeah so I saw that you also, besides this fabulous book that I really enjoyed and think everybody that loves sword and sorcery should run right out and get it, but you edit a magazine and you wrote for Pathfinder. It's How true. did you get to game world writing? Oh gosh. So I, I had been um, reviewing for Blackgate magazine uh, for a while and I noticed that the Paizo products were always good. And I struck up a friendship with them, with uh, two of the guys involved, Eric Mona and uh, James Sutter. And uh, it turns out that they loved old pulps and old sword and sorcery and old historicals. And so we began exchanging messages uh, outside of, hey, you, I have a new product. Would you like to review it? And eventually I got a contract with St. Martin's for the Desert of Souls. Uh, my Arabian fantasy series. And right after that, uh, I got a, I got a note from James Sutter and it said, Hey, we're interested in opening up a, a novel line. Would you like to be involved? And I said, sure. Uh, so it all came about because of being involved in the industry. And then they saw that I'd gotten this novel contract and uh, they're like, Hey, we like Howard. He's fun to work with. Let's see if we'd like writing with him. I love it. I love it. I sim it was similar to be how I got involved with writing an Oz set. It's It really is who you know. And I loved that you emphasized that in some of your blogs, that go to events, talk to people, look at somebody else's shoes. That's important. Right, right. It's You can't just sit in your writer's garret with your raven on your shoulder waiting for lightning to strike. Really, if you love the industry, get involved in the industry. That's that's the way in. It's it's not like uh, it's not like I set out to. Oh, uh, I'm on a campaign to meet as many people as possible and worm my way into their friendship. <laughs> uh, you find people out there, and sometimes sometimes you're friendly with them, but occasionally you're not. But then occasionally you become good friends, and you know stuff is just gonna happen. It does. I found that. Every short story I ever read at a bar con, which is like going to the con, but sitting around the barn and talking to people who, you know, likewise need coffee or cocktails, they all sold. <laughs> <Favorite>. And <laughs> literally because I, I don't know if it's just because 
somebody's talking about something and you get this really great idea and you scribble it down and that's the idea that sticks with you. No, no, I get it. Barkhan is great. When uh, whenever I go to a convention anymore, mostly uh, mostly it's Barkhan. That and meeting the readers, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, without the readers, what are we really? Yeah, exactly. We might as well be sitting in a lonely room writing poems to ourselves. <laughs> that could be fun. I mean, in its own way. So. I like the idea. Now, the more I think about it, the more I'm entranced by this. This this could sell for television. I mean, once once the WGA strike goes around, they're going to need some new material fast. So if you considered writing some screenplay copy of this. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm pretty busy writing um, writing the books right now. Right. But yeah, it would be pretty swell. I mean, the whole thing is set up to be a season of TV, right? Um I guess some of the longer ones would have to be two parters, but they feed into each other. I think it would, I think it would work pretty well. I no, I thought about it myself. Get it, get it here. Netflix someday when you stop being an idiot. That would be, that would be pretty swell. And yeah, Netflix needs to take better care of their writers. Oh yeah. We, <laughs> in the last episode, people will remember that David Gerald came on and had a whole lot to say on the topic. God bless him. <laughs> well, good. A lot needs to be said. Absolutely. So you're working. Are you have you already finished the next one? It's coming out in October. So I presume you're done writing or are you just kind of still poking and editing? Oh, no, no. Book two is done. Um, so it will come out in October and I am hard at work at book three. Mm-hmm. It, those people who are afraid of uh, people who don't finish series, don't worry, I'm not one of them. No, no. And the next one, I believe you told me is going to be called The City of Marble and Blood. Indeed, it is. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Can. Can we know the third or have you settled on a title yet? Oh, the third is called uh, Shadow of the Smoking Mountain. And the fourth is called Daughter of the Silver Towers. I haven't settled on number five yet, though. Ooh, so dare we hope that number four, it might be about uh, the daughter in question? You may see the daughter in book two, City of Marble and Blood. But yes, yes, she is the daughter of the Silver Towers. So you will definitely see a whole lot of her in book four. Excellent. Excellent. I mean, I mean, I kind of love her already. We haven't even met yet. So I think I think you'll really dig meeting her in book two. Excellent. How did you approach magic in this? Because the the whole reason that the story of the um, gladiator like environment that was suddenly starting to have a horrible, horrible uh, magic thing come out of it. How do you view magic in all of this? There were there's little bits of it, and then it goes away, and then it's just humans fighting humans or humanoids fighting humanoids and strange creatures. But how do you view magic in all of this? Is it mostly divine magic? Is it inherent to the world? Tell me a little bit where you where you centered your magic theory on. Well, I like the feel of the the way it comes across in. Gosh, myth, really. So yeah, some of it's divine. Sometimes there's monsters. And of course, there's going to be some people who can tap into it, but it's not reliable. Um, sometimes I like magic as a science approaches, but I I mean, sometimes I like reading it, but I don't really like writing it. I like it to be strange and unreliable and mysterious. Um, so that's what I want. And, and as you've probably noticed, it's usually horrific. We don't have people running around throwing healing spells or doing very many nice things with magic. 
Um, no, no, there, there didn't seem to be a here, drink this, all your wounds will disappear. And and I kind of liked that as no short step, but I liked there was a little bit of human psionics in the mind reading, but not deep, just sort of shallow. So I dug that. Right, right. All of these powers that are occasionally tapped into by humans, they're either um, uh, very slight gifts, or if you want to go darker, it's going to cost you. And I take that really from all of the original sword and sorcery people uh, for whom magic was a dark thing, usually only the, usually not always, but usually only the bad guys messed with it too much. But of course that is, they did that because that's kind of the feel of the Roman and Greek myth as well. Mostly the people who were dabbling with magic were kind of creepy and off-putting. <laughs> well, I think it was Homer who first described the Sumerians as a dwelling in a remote land of mist and gloom and, how how is that not basically where weird dark magic comes from? So <laughs> fair enough. What do you, besides that, and and the new pieces coming out? Are you going to appear at any local things? Are you going to Comic Con? What's your what's well, your appearance? Uh, you know, like? I've never dared Comic Con, but I am going to be at Gen Con. I always go to Gen Con itself, and then there's a convention within a convention called the Writers Symposium, which is one of my very favorite uh, conventions. Yeah. Um, it's just full of uh, really well-run, well-organized panels. It's one of my favorite places to go. So I'll be there, gosh, in only two weeks. I believe it's August 2nd or August 3rd is when it stop, uh, starts, and I'll be there the whole week. And then I will be making a brief appearance at DragonCon. I think I'm there for two and a half days. I'm just dipping my toe in the water. I haven't been in 10 years. Oh, I see. I went likewise eight or nine years ago, and it took a half an hour to cross the lobby floor. <laughs> that's what I remember from when I was there last time. So. Yeah. For for me, that was the, I think I'm a, not the big crowds girl just yet, but I respect you for brave in the brave in the field. And we shall see Bain has a big presence there and there will at least be a, a, a Bain uh, presentation of all the new books and new writers. And so I'll be, I'll be hanging out with them and it'll feel probably a little safer than trying to cross the lobby all by myself. <laughs> Excellent. And on your website, I wanted to say to encourage people to go take a look of it. You had a neat little blog called A List of Writing Mistakes, My List of Writing Mistakes. And I, I found that charming, delightful, and painfully accurate in points. So, Yeah, I keep a running total of, uh, <laughs> I don't know about total, I keep a running list of mistakes that I've made over and over. Uh, and I carry a little writing notebook around with me. And so I write down the mistakes I make. Um, and try to review them before I write every day uh, in the hope that I stop making them. And some of them I have stopped making, but you know what? I'll, I'll come up with new ones. <laughs> there was a mystery writer's handbook that had one piece of advice that I almost expected, but it was, you had a little piece of it. You said, don't be too quick to reveal the villain's plan. And theirs was, make sure that you know what the villain's plan is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's also great advice. And that's, I actually have a, a variation on that in my uh, writing mistakes notebook, because sometimes uh, when I was a very young writer, I would start writing before I knew what the villain's plan was. And man, would I waste a whole lot of time rewriting. Yeah. And I find that there has been too many two-dimensional villains in the world where they're just, oh, yes, I shall take over the world and kill you by... Death by Cliche, which was another good book on the topic of two-dimensional villains. But 
I think villains need to be just as complex and interesting as heroes. Otherwise, why do I care? Or do I want to understand and still cheer for the good guys? Or, you know, life is complicated. I really want, I want all of my characters to be complicated. I want them to be complicated and interesting. Exactly. And I mean, no offense in the world, but people without complications are not quite as interesting. So no, you're a complicated man, Howard Andrew Jones. <laughs> not really. <clears throat> I just like telling stories about uh, about Hanavar. About Hanavar. And you mentioned briefly, tell us uh, about your, your desert version. Oh, uh, the Desert of Souls. That was my... Um... My first St. Martin series, it was Arabian fantasy. It was kind of like uh, uh, the Arabian Nights crossed with, with Sherlock Holmes, or I think John O'Neill called it Sinbad crossed with Indiana Jones. And, uh, oh, well, how, you can't go wrong there. Although I kind of like Indiana Jones and and Sherlock together there because I'm a big Sherlock fan. So, Oh, so. are you? Well, you might get a charge out of those. <laughs> uh, you can probably tell I really like uh, smart characters. I mean, that's something Hanavar definitely is, right? He's definitely the smartest person in every room he's standing in. And I also liked the feeling that Hanavar would be happy to not always be the smartest. Yeah, it would be nice if, if because all it's, it's wasn't work. Here. Yeah, it is. You know, coming up with every plan and directing everybody. and It is a lot of work being in charge and managing people. So I respect also that he's tired, but he keeps doing it because, you know, it's introvertuous. Maybe he wants to retire, but he can't right now. So... No, he can't. There's not going to be anyone else that can do it. So he's going to do it. Exactly. Well, we will put links to this and all of your other stories. And you absolutely need to send me a picture of an actor you think is playing, going to play him. Plus one of you to put ah. on our website. <laughs> which well, is I, definitely, I definitely shouldn't be cast. <laughs> oh, oh, maybe. But put it on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. Thank you so much for coming and visiting with us today, Howard. This has been great, and I really loved your book. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a blast. I really appreciate it. At Lord of a Shattered Land, everybody, from Bane, uh, Rush Right Out. It is sword and sorcery. But like I said, it's sword and sorcery written in the 2020s that is just as good or better as anything I think Robert E. Howard wrote. So thank you for writing it. Thank you very much. Okay. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web magic is cast by George Rishween, and our sound engineer and backup web spiders and sword slingers are Dave Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro and exit music is performed by the great bard Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsors are Jackal Designs, The Bean Scene, Arm Street Maker of Beautiful Swords, and really an homage to wherever you really enjoy your own hot your own coffee. And hey, thanks for listening.